Happy holidays and welcome to Clear Out. I'm your host, Nihal Qatar. As always, I'm joined by my brother, Sahil. We've been gone for a little bit while, but I'm excited to start talking basketball again. Yeah, it's really exciting to be back on the podcast, and I think this is the first time we've been in person on the podcast together since that first episode, so yeah, it's good to see you again. That is true. Well, I mean, we've been seeing each other for like a week now, so... It's good to see you in this capacity. <laughs> true. Uh, we've got a fun episode today. We're going to be covering the Brooklyn Nets, the New York Knicks, and the Phoenix Suns, and then after that, we'll be talking about our current and well, what our current MVP ballot would look like. And then finally, we'll finish it off with Will It Sustain, which is Sahil's segment. Um, So why don't we start off in Brooklyn? So some breaking news came out yesterday for us, um, but this past week that Kyrie Irving is returning to the team and will be playing away games for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, You know, the Nets had eight people in the COVID protocols. Well, seven the day they announced it. Kevin Durant went into uh, the COVID protocols this morning and also Kyrie Irving. So that's nine. Kyrie Irving actually went into the protocols like a day after uh, he started practicing and he cannot return until he has five successive days of negative tests because he is unvaccinated. But enough about the COVID stuff. I mean, it, it's we, I mean, we haven't talked about it with Kyrie, but it is interesting that the Nets folded in this way. Yeah. Um, Especially, you know, I, I, they have been playing well. Um, I think they know, though, that they're a good team. They're just not a great team. And Kyrie makes them the best team in the NBA, I think. And I, I think they know that. Well, but, I mean, they've kind of been dealing with... I mean, I agree with you that I think Kyrie Irving makes them the best team in the NBA. But it's not, you know, they're 21-8. and eight, They're first seed in the East. It's not like I know that... And they've been kind of dealing with injuries and COVID for a while. So it's like... I, it's a, it was a weird time to kind of push the panic button to me and and be like, Kyrie. I mean, the weirdest part about it is, first of all, that Sean Marks and the Nets, Sean Marks, the general manager of the Nets, um, and the organization at large, they tried to take this stance that's like, we're not going to allow a part-time player play in any capacity. Uh-huh. Like, if you're if you're going to be a member of this team, you're going to comply with the laws here, and you're going to you're going to get vaccinated and you know participate in every capacity. But and it's, it was weird. It's weird to not only change your mind about that, which I think would have been weird to begin with, but also having the first seat. It just it just didn't seem like... I mean, they've got young guys. Both their draft picks have been playing really well. Um, I mean, they're, they've got pretty good depth. They've been playing well no matter who's been in the lineup. I mean, and even, even before we knew KD was entering the COVID protocols, they called Kyrie back, and KD had been playing awesome basketball. And we'll get into all that, but yeah, I mean, I think... Weird response from the Nets. I I don't I don't like it. I don't. I, I, it's not just that he's Kyrie's pl- allowed to be a part time player, but how they handled it. I didn't like it. But I think we can both agree also that the NBA needs to do something about the, these this outbreak of cases that we're seeing right now. There's got to be some uh, revisions to the um, protocols. Yeah, and that's something that's been reported that they're looking into. And I mean, you're right that. You know, the Nets have a, a good record. They've looked pretty good. But their ceiling is just not... They're not the best team in the East, in my opinion, without Kyrie Irving. And I think they know that they haven't really matched up well against good teams, against other contenders this year. I mean, they've lost to the Bucks in their only matchup. They've lost to the Suns in their only matchup. They've lost to the Bulls twice, who I don't even really consider a contender, but they're a good team. 
And I mean, and, and that's I think that's a little bit worrisome. I mean, if you're if you're a Nets fan, because other than that, they haven't really played anyone. Um, they've lost to the Heat as well. And I mean, looking at their schedule, the best team they've played is that they've beaten is the Hawks or the Sixers um, early in the season. I guess you could say the Sixers. So, you know, I, I think the biggest the impetus for bringing Kyrie back, I think, really was them not having enough players. They had eight people or seven people in, in COVID protocols. So, you know, they do have someone on their roster that they can play away games. But also it kind of just feels like an excuse or it was an excuse to bring him back to raise their ceiling. Um, right. And, you know, I, the notes I had in my notes prior to the whole Kyrie news, I literally have the Nets look like a good team, but not a great team. Um, or I guess I put great team, but not like the best team in the NBA. Is what I actually put, um, but and I mean, and that's just that's where they are. I don't see them beating the Bucks in a seven-game series without Kyrie in the Eastern Conference Finals or whenever they play them. Do you? I mean, to me, it's been hard to say. It's it's been. I feel like it's been hard to ask them with the challenges with Joe Harris being out indefinitely that they've faced with a bunch of these guys going to protocols and still winning games. I feel like you can't judge too hard for style points, like, or, or, and like. You know, they're, they're, they're first in the East. They've had difficult circumstances. I certainly didn't expect them to be this good. And Harden doesn't even look... I mean, I mean, you might believe that Harden's going to look like this for the rest of the season, but he doesn't look like a uh, top 10 player right now, by any means. Well, I mean, I think it depends. He doesn't look like a top 10 player, maybe. He's been struggling in, in terms of scoring, but I still think he's an elite... He looks like an elite f- facilitator to me, and he does look better on the defensive end. And, I mean... I just think the playing Kevin Durant and James Harden over 40 minutes a game is eventually going to, you know, eventually going to show its face. I mean, you're not, you can't do that for the entire season, um, you know, and, and then they're going to have to do the same thing in the playoffs, too. So I, I just the Nets are one of the top four teams in the NBA. There's no question in my mind. I'm just saying Kyrie separates them. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, but then, yeah, but but then. What I'm kind of saying is I don't see why the organization would reevaluate that decision based on how this season has went. To me, they've done everything they could do. Well, I think it's based on the results against good teams. Okay, but I they've mean, still had they've still had players missing in those games. But I mean, they fair have, enough. yeah. But I mean, they haven't. I mean, they've beaten the Cavs twice. Those are, I guess, when I'm looking <laughs> at the schedule, I still don't. When I see the Cavs, <laughs> it doesn't like, process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I get what you're saying, but I think, I just think it's been evident that they do, I mean, maybe, and maybe Joe Harris coming back would have been, you know, something that made them even better. I'm not convinced of that. Um, I'm interested to see how Kyrie impacts the their chemistry because they have been playing really well. And also, I think the biggest thing is on the defensive end. Um the Nets have been really. I mean, we could, we should start talking positively about right, this. right. Yeah. I, I think uh, the Nets have been really impressive to me um, on the defensive end, and they just had a four-game uh, road uh, trip before the two games they played at home, and um, in three out of those four games, the Nets held Detroit and Dallas to thirteen points in the fourth quarter, and Atlanta to fourteen points in the in the uh, fourth quarter. Wow. So uh, they were top five in in uh, defensive rating. I think they fell closer to nine in the last uh, couple of weeks, but they still are in the top five in fourth quarter defensive rating. So I think that's really encouraging for them. Uh, it's not a team that many consider to be 
a defensive stalwart. Although they were very impressive against the Bucks, I thought, in the playoffs last year. I think they did great defensively. Um, but it's nice to see that that's, you know, showing up every single day. And, um, you know, I, I think another indication of how well they've been playing is their first and opponent field goal, effective field goal percentage. I mean, they're just, they're not giving up efficient shots or efficient, you know, people are not scoring efficiently on them, rather. Right. Yeah, um, I think they've had yeah a lot of success, and Kevin Durant, I mean, obviously, it starts and ends with Kevin Durant, who's been able to plug so many ho- different holes, you know? I mean, he, for so long, he, we didn't really discuss the stretch where Harden was out, mm-hmm. but Kevin Durant wasn't, and he played excellently in that stretch, including a 50-point game, um, a, a good display in overtime during that stretch as well. He, it's a career high in assist, assist percentage for Kevin Durant. He's getting guys involved, and when you watch the games, he's just making the right read every time. He's reading doubles so well in the post. He's been good as a pick and roll ball handler. Those plays have been efficient, and he's of course in isolation. He's going to get his buckets, and I mean, it's just he just is one of the most unguardable players in the NBA, and he's just seems like he's at the peak of his powers right now. And um, I. It's just been cool to see how well he's rebounded from that Achilles injury. If It's like it didn't even happen. Um, and then Patty Mills is a player who I've loved watching. He's very good. Just It's so devastating for teams when they need to make a decision. They need to help on the weak side. And then that forces a rotation that leaves Patty Mills open. And Mills is always moving off ball too, which is just something to worry about for teams. Um, he's been really good. Maybe a candidate for sixth man of the year, but... That, that might be ruined a little bit now because he's had to start a lot, but um, he's just been really, really cool to watch. Going Talking a little bit about James Harden, I want to I finish some of the, the negativity now. Um, he doesn't look as good. I think he looks particularly slow. I think I agree with you that defensively, when he's, when he's good, he's been looked good, but there are just those possessions where it seems like he just takes off and you know, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't get back in transition. That's, that's something he's never been good at. Um, and you look across his numbers, and he's kind of slightly down in everything, but still really good at most things because he's James Harden. But he's kind of gotten his free throw right back up. So for all the talk about, you know, like the rule changes and stuff, he's he's still getting to the line. And one thing to watch is that he's shooting 34% from three, um, which would be a career low, actually. So his season is on an upward trajectory, but it's been interesting seeing those all those numbers just be down from where they were the past few seasons and he was playing at an MVP level a lot of those seasons so it's nothing to take away from him but it'll be interesting to see you know how much of the of the load he's he's going to be able to carry as more of his health issues pop up too and and if he can if he's going to have that explosiveness come playoff time for sure um yeah I mean I think you know, you you talking about playoff time, I, I, the, as impressive as they have been on defense, I think they will struggle against some of the big men in the East. I mean, namely Embiid and Giannis, Joel Embiid and Giannis. And I think, you know, I, I, I just don't know if LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, and Paul Millsap are going to be enough. Um, you know, I think Claxton is an interesting player. He's not been as you know, impactful as many, I, I think a lot of Nets fans thought he would be, but, um, I mean, he's, I think he's looking better and better. As yeah, I agree. The more minutes he gets under his belt. And I think come playoff time, maybe he will be a difference maker. Um, I, I early in the season, it seemed like he was not getting that much playing time. So I think he is now though. So 
Yeah, I mean, partly, you know, due to necessity, but he's found a, he's definitely found a role for Steve Nash. I like him as a rolling partner with Harden. He's like, he's definitely the most dynamic rim runner they have in that way. Uh And they they, they can't rebound. The Nets can't get a rebound on either end. But when Claxton's on the floor, they're like, okay, they're bad. They're not awful. So I think he adds kind of that second chance point opportunity guy. And I, I, I think he, he's the guy, if you're looking for someone to develop that kind of pick and roll chemistry that Harden had with Capella in his time in Houston, where you gotta, you gotta make sure you guard the lob, but you also gotta make sure you guard the ball handler and Harden. I think Claxton's going to be the guy that you want to look for if you want that kind of rim runner. But Marcus Aldridge has been really good on offense. On defense, he's kind of limited to that drop defense which definitely could be exploitable, but he's been better than I thought he would be defensively overall. Also just better than I thought he would be, period. It's amazing. You know, he had to retire last season due to health concerns, and now he's he, he's had a really good season when he's been on the court. So that's been cool to see. But um, yeah, that center position is going to be super interesting because Blake Griffin cannot hit a shot for the life of him right now. He's shooting below 20% on three, and he just looks a little bit... It looks like he's relying on a lot of just fouling guys and hacking guys rather than actually... <laughs> playing awesome defense but I still think he he can be annoying in some matchups but so like if if you if you're playing you know and and maybe this is all relevant irrelevant because Kevin Durant's gonna be playing the five come playoff time but I mean you do skew a little bit small there I mean your your tallest player after him is gonna be Bembry probably who who I've liked this year but if you had to play a you know who do you think is gonna be the most important five next to Kevin Durant come playoff time Claxton Aldridge or, or Griffin I honestly, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's really going to be a matchup thing. Yeah. Um, but I, we've kind of seen a resurgence of, of bigs in the NBA, I think. Like, right. There are just a lot of good bigs right now. And I think they might be forced to play Claxton. I, I, don't, I just don't think Aldridge and Griffin and Millsap can handle those players. Yeah, I think Claxton... And Claxton does bring a kind of a switching aspect that I think Griffin can do, but mm-hmm. but Aldridge definitely can at this point in his career. So that's just a really that's that's kind of the most important thing I'm watching. I think when they all get healthy, like how does Steve Nash handle that center position? But again, like I said, they might roll with KD, Bembry, Harden, Kyrie, and Bruce Brown. Like that lineup is is good enough even defensively that I think they can make that work. And Bruce Brown can provide like a like a rolling presence because he's just like. He just has that activity, that ability, that vertical. And I've liked Bruce Brown, too. His activity has been good. Um, Their rookies have brought a lot more than I thought. I didn't know about Kessler Edwards, their second-round draft pick, or Cam Thomas, their first-round draft pick. But they've been kind of interesting players that have been pushed into the spotlight due to COVID. Um, Edwards has been... Kessler Edwards has been awesome offensively. He's been shooting the ball really well from deep. And Cam Thomas, is he's got a feel to him, like a know-how to him that I think could translate into something someday. But he's been quite inefficient, but yeah. that's to be expected from a rookie. Yeah, Cam Thomas, a lot of people were excited about coming into the draft, especially as a late-round draft pick. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, he's a scorer, but yeah, he's just got to get his efficiency up, and, and that could definitely happen. I mean, that probably will happen, because like you said, he does look like he has the tools to be a really good scorer in this league. All right, moving on. I think I think that's enough talk about the Nets. I think we sort of covered pretty much everything, I feel like. Um, oh, I guess one more thing I wanted to say was, yes, they aren't good at rebounding, but they've been one of the best transition, one of the best teams in transition in the NBA this year. So when they do get those, I think, off live rebounds, according to Cleaning the Glass, uh, they are 
in the top 10 um, in points per possession off live rebounds. So they're capitalizing on those rebounds and scoring on them um, in transition, which I think is, I mean, that's that's a good way to make up for not getting uh, many rebounds, I think. And that, that's probably, you know, as, as you kind of imply there, part of the reason they're not getting boards because they're leaking out and, you know, right. um, they're getting those opportunities to score. And they, that, that passes the eye test, too. They've looked really good in transition, as they have really ever since Steve Nash has gotten there and, and all those players, of course. <laughs> it's not like... Yes. <laughs> um, oh, one more thing that I wanted to mention is Patty Mills, when Patty Mills and Kevin Durant have been on the court... And that's been they they've kind of had some chemistry together, and Harden's been off the court. They've been really really good. I think those Harden KD lineups are still not as good as you want them to be, but they're super talented. They'll probably figure it out. And another maybe concern is that Bembry's guarding the opponent's best perimeter players right now. Will that be good enough come playoff time? No. Yeah, probably not. So maybe they will look uh, near the deadline or bio market to get someone who can better do that. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Kyrie just makes them worse defensively. Right. Um, even though it does definitely raise their ceiling as a team. All right, moving on to the other team in New York, the New York Knicks. Disappointing start to the season. Um, you know, they just they've they just haven't been good um, this year, and uh, I think there's a lot of reasons why. Um, I mean, they're currently 13 and 16. They sit 12th in the East. I think it's going to be really difficult for them to make the playoffs. Um, but yeah, why don't you, why, why do you think the Knicks have struggled so much this year? I think their problems kind of start and end with Julius Randle and RJ Barrett, who have just been very underwhelming and more mm-hmm. inefficient than last season. Um, I expected natural regression from New York and we both talked about this, but not this. I didn't, I didn't expect a Tibbs team to be 22nd in defense. And, you know, part of that kind of came with the, came with the moves they made when you added Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker's now out of the rotation now. And, you know, feel bad for him, but can't say that it didn't make sense because he was a really rough watch. Could, cannot get to the basket anymore. Can't defend. Um, could never really defend. But um, Julius Randle, he's, he's been more inefficient shooting from almost everywhere on the court. And I knew that three-point percentage and long two percentage would drop, but everything else has too. So they, they like, he still has made strides as a playmaker. And I think last season will always be... Um, uh, important in his development, but like I said, like I said before the season, I think last season will be the best season of his career, and I definitely can still see that going forward. Defensively, also, it's just I, I think it's you know maybe when you got when you were defending next to like Reggie Bullock, it was easier to lock in because like Julius Randle, I just haven't seen that buy-in like he was last year, and it's easier to do when you're scoring and things are going well. And um, yeah, I've just been R.J. Barrett. I think his defense has actually been really good. He's I'm I'm looking for him to be like uh, an all an all NBA defense guy eventually in his career, but offensively he just cannot figure it out. It's like he took it's like he took two steps forward and one step back, which is fine, <laughs> but uh, definitely better than his rookie season. Um, but he's he's just not been as good as you wanted him to be in this season, where it felt like he could make a leap. And I I think there's a lot of other stuff, but those two guys have been disappointing. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And to your point, Julius Randle was shooting 41% from three last year. We didn't think that would happen this year, but he's down to 34% from three. He's turning the ball over. He's assisting less. Um, and, you know, something interesting is that, yeah, Fournier, adding Fournier and Kemba, that's going to make your defense 
worse. You said they're twenty second um, in defensive rating. They were fourth last year uh, in defensive yep. rating. So a huge drop off. And you know when you watch them, they just. I think a great example of what is wrong with the Knicks currently was the. I mean, we didn't even mention that Steph broke the three point record, but the game against the Warriors, where. You know, they just look static. I mean, you see this one team just moving around off ball and playing yeah. this beautiful offense, and the Knicks are just a completely static team. There's very little movement. They're kind of out of ideas on offense. And I think I think maybe Tibbs has got to go to smaller lineups more. Um, you know, he does like having a true five on the court for his defense, but Nerlens has not been 100%. Mitchell Robinson also just doesn't look 100% coming off of his injury. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Obi Toppin has played pretty well. Right. Um, so I think if they can run out some more Obi Toppin, Julius Randle lineups, uh, they just might be more dynamic offensively. Although Toppin's only shooting 19% from three. So um, that's something he definitely has to improve if, if they're going to do that effectively. But um, I do think Obi Toppin's just an interesting player um, that they could use. And, you know, uh, Kemba got benched. There's a lot of these guys are playing. Miles McBride's getting minutes, Quentin Grimes, Kevin Knox, who just hasn't touched the floor in, like, three years. So, you know, I, I don't I don't really know what that means. If They're playing okay, I guess. Um, but I feel like if Kevin Knox is playing, you have issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I, 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 kind, of, I kind of like your point about pairing Julius Randle more with some of the bench guys because their all bench lineup is still incredible. Plus 30 points for 100 possessions and only allowing 0.85 points a possession. So they need to like get some of that magic that's working in that all bench lineup and mix it with some like more scoring and some more firepower that they can play more minutes. And maybe they can start to create lineups. I know Tibbs loves the all bench lineup because they play well so good to play so well together, but you can't play your all bench lineup like 30 minutes a night, obviously. So there's a reason they're bench players. So, like, it's just going to be interesting to see how they deal with that. I, But, yeah, I agree with you on Mitchell Robinson. He, he He's a great case of how shot blocking does not equal, like, good defense. He, he He's um, he's able to block shots, but it's just sometimes not great in pick-and-roll coverage. And even he has probably been better than Nerland's Noel has been at starting center. And that's been disappointing to watch because Noel was bringing some good minutes for him uh, for them last year, and they just signed him to that extension. So... Um, it just, it just doesn't look right. Like you said, I, like you said, they, they look so stagnant. Um, I even said on, um, I even wrote down in my notes here. I just don't see the identity on offense, especially in the half court. Like there's just not much going on. A lot of dribble, dribble, Julius Randall takes bad shot. And a lot of times they would get bailed out like that last year and he would make it. But like, that's what I was thinking about before the season. Like, I don't think he's that good of a shooter. And I think that's kind of coming to fruition here, but, um, I, I think their transition offense is kind of saving them right now, which has been pretty good. But yeah, Evan Fournier was probably their biggest addition, and he's been bad on defense and really like pretty underwhelming on offense. He he really needs to be awesome on offense um, to make to kind of put them into a top ten, top fifteen type of offense. But he hasn't been that for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it's disappointing to see, especially they, they had such a good start to the season. Um, and I, I, I'm wondering, I mean, you can't they can't really get rid of Kemba. I mean, they could buy him out maybe, but I just don't see that happening. You have to start wondering if maybe they start selling some of these pieces and trading, trading them off to contenders because 
some of those players on the bench lineup I think could be really intriguing pieces for uh, contenders in the future in this season actually wow. life hits you fast I remember <laughs> I mean if, if you're saying they sell I mean remember how excited every everyone was last year true and now they're they're in 12th place I mean they were thinking maybe they could trade for Dame or something I don't I mean I don't know if Dame would want to c- come here now but um and you know what's and even more bad news for New York is they've played a really easy strength of schedule I looked it up and mm-hmm. they played the 22nd uh, hardest schedule which is the eighth easiest schedule and they they they're just turning the ball over a lot they can't get defensive rebounds a lot of the fundamentals just aren't there and i feel like if the fundamentals aren't there that's what you you were kind of adding that right you're kind of adding that tibbs effect when you projected onto this team because well, they don't have that much talent like you've seen this with tibbs before right right i mean you reach a point of diminishing returns <laughs> right um so Eventually, you know, you got to add talent. You got to have talent that stacks up with the rest. And the East just got better, too, this year. Yeah. Uh, the NBA, I think, got better. So, yeah, bing bong, the Knicks are dead, I guess. I, I They they have no chance of making the playoffs, in my opinion. I was going to ask you, do you expect them to be a play-in team? No. Right now they're 12th. Okay, you don't even think they're going to make the play-in. Well, okay. They can- <laughs> I mean, no, they probably will. Honestly, no, no I mean, actually, they I, might not. I, they might not. I, I don't know if those teams are worse than them in front of them. The teams in front of them aren't worse than them. Aren't worse than they are. But Exactly. I mean, you could def- I could see them still making the plan. I could see it too, but, you know, you have to call someone to spill out, and I'm not ready to call any of these teams above them to spill out, really. Let alone two of them would need to spill out. Yeah, maybe the Wizards. They're on a four-game losing streak. This is true. That, that we kind of both... We kind of thought that might be some fool's gold there when they were playing, like, awesome at the beginning of the season. But, um... Yeah. All right. Moving on to, perhaps, the best team in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns. The Suns are 23-5. and The last time we talked about them, we were talking about their owner, and since then, they haven't lost. Um, so... <laughs> they did lose once They did the lose, yeah. <laughs> they yes. had a meeting about it, um, and they didn't lose for a long time, and then they lost once. I think um, they lost twice, actually, but yes. Either way, they've been. Um, they have. They have lost twice <laughs> in the last ten games, but it feels like they haven't lost, and they sit half a game back uh, in the Western Conference, behind the Warriors, and they just have been awesome. And you know, I this is something that I was talking about in the preseason that I just, I I think they are the best team in the West, and I, I see them as the team that comes out of the West, or I did see them coming out of the West in, in the preseason. The Warriors have been really good. Um, I do think the Suns are just a slightly better team, honestly. Um, that might be a hot take. I don't know. Yeah, well, why don't we come back to that after we talk a little bit about the Suns? Yeah, yeah, And sure, ask sure. who you'd who, who favor in that kind of matchup. Um, well, the Suns. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think I'd be on the Warriors side, but we'll talk about and, that. And, um, well, I mean, I think, again, just like the Knicks, the game, the games against the Warriors, I think are really indicative of what this team's ceiling is. Uh, the defense in that game was awesome. Um, and I think a big part of their success this year has been how incredible DeAndre Ayton has played on both ends of the floor. Uh, he's been used more as a short roller this year, definitely more so than last year. He's initiating the offense from the elbow a lot more. He's driving more from that um, from that kind of area too. He's still not driving much, but he's still driving more. And, you know, if you watch... I think one of the biggest plays in that Warriors game was when he was switched on to Steph and he blocked him at, at the three-point line. And, I mean, if he becomes a player that can switch on to players like Steph and be at least competent defensively, 
uh, around the arc. I mean, his ceiling is incredibly high as a defensive player, and he's completely cut the crappy mid-rangers out of his game. He just doesn't yeah. really take those anymore. He's shooting 41% from mid-range this year, I think. And or Wait, uh, I have it down somewhere, but he's shooting 46% from mid-range this year, which is very good, and yeah. probably because you're right, he's cutting out some of the bad ones. Yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, he just... I mean, the whole team has been really great defensively, but I think last year they didn't necessarily trust DeAndre Ayton defensively, which is fair because prior to last year he wasn't a good defensive player. This year they know what he is, and it's just allowed the rest of the team to be more aggressive defensively. And I think that's why you're seeing all their steal numbers go up, their deflection numbers go up. Uh, you know, Mikel Bridges, I'm sure you'll want to talk about, but he's taking a huge jump, I think. Um, and... You know, in that game, too, he got switched on to Draymond Green, and he stole it from him, um, which is not that surprising. Right. But, um, <laughs> but, I mean, it just sort of illustrates he can kind of guard one through four because he was on Steph for most of that game. Right. So um, not many players can guard Steph and then go guard Draymond. I mean, that's not really uh, a skill set many players have. So, I mean, what have you seen from, from the Suns this year that's made them so impressive? Well, I like what you said about DeAndre Ayton. He's been kind of a player that can give them – as you as you're implying, like or saying, give them what they need on a given night. I think he's done a good job of not just doing random post ups, but posting up when teams are switching against them and really mm-hmm. taking advantage of those mismatches. He's been great on the short roll, as you said, and um, it, it feels like at the beginning of his career he had those volume numbers. Last year he was very efficient, but mm-hmm. didn't have that volume. But now he's kind of merged that together, and and he's become a higher volume scorer and efficient. Um, so I've really liked what I've seen from him. Um, and obviously, you know, what gets Aiden a lot of times in that advantageous short roll situation is Chris Paul. And Chris Paul has been destroying really every type of coverage you can throw at him this year. I've seen crunch time games where teams try like four different things in the last two minutes of the game and none of it works. Mm-hmm. He's either going to find the right guy on the weak side. He's going to pull up for that mid-ranger that he likes, destroy someone in drop coverage, make someone put someone on skates if they're switching a big man onto him it's just like he's just he's 36 years old and he's playing just an awesome basketball and um he's been a big reason that they've been winning games without Devin Booker who's been out for a few weeks now and even Aiden was out during that stretch too so um can't say enough about Chris Paul uh this season what have you seen from him or I mean have you been impressed like that I mean, you still worry eventually that it's going to catch up to him by the end of the season, that he's going to get injured, but, like, wow. he You, you think he's going to slow down at some point, but well, he doesn't. I, I think what's so impressive about this run for Phoenix, too, is that Mikel Bridges is playing the most minutes per game for the Suns, and that's only 34 minutes. Wow. I mean, Chris Paul is playing 32 minutes a game, so is Devin Booker. Aiton's playing 31 minutes a game, and, I mean, they're doing that, and they're winning. Um, they, right. they don't need to play heavy minutes and I think you know I think Chris Paul will still be relatively fresh in the playoffs but yeah I mean his I mean his playmaking has been just incredible this year um you know Cam Johnson has is a player that I love uh he's been good I he hasn't taken the jump I thought he would I thought he would be you know a little bit better but he still is shooting over 40 percent from three scoring 10 points per game JaVale McGee has actually been a big reason for their success, just having that backup big. And we saw that last year against the Bucks, They didn't have that, especially right. when uh, Dario Saric came, went down with his, in, with his injury. And, I mean, we'll see if he comes back this season. That would be a nice, you know, a player to get back. I don't know how effective JaVale McGee is going to be in the playoffs, but for the regular season, having a player like that is extremely important. Um, 
And, you know, we see teams without backup big struggling. I mean, you know, you just look at Milwaukee, you know, with Brooke Lopez out. They're having a tough time right. without, um, without having someone behind him. So um, just having players that can come in, play big minutes in the regular season, and still, you know, come out with wins is a hugely important, um, you know, aspect of a team to have. And, I mean, the Nets are doing a similar thing. With having many players who can pl- who can play well, obviously the minutes aren't the same. <laughs> the, the Durant and Harden aren't playing big minutes, but I mean it's just they're such a fun team to watch, and they are just a real team. Um, and I would love nothing more than a finals rematch uh, <laughs> this year. But really, the, the top four teams in the NBA, who who I think are the top four teams in the NBA, the Bucks, Nets, Warriors, and Suns. I just don't think you can really go wrong. Um, and I'm sorry, Jazz fans, I apologize. But um, I, those four teams have been incredibly fun to watch this year, I think. Yeah, I, I like that parallel that you drew. Um, well, you mentioned kind of Milwaukee with not having that backup center. And what you were saying before actually made me think of Milwaukee when you said they're winning all these games and they're not even playing yeah. the players that many minutes. That's when you know you just have a regular season machine. And that can help. That's going to give, like you said, your players more rest going into the playoffs and have them fresher. And, um, yeah, JaVale McGee has been really good, exactly what they needed. Like you said, a big guy off the bench. And his he's developed a lot of pick-and-roll chemistry with campaign. When those two are on the court, they've been awesome. Mm-hmm. And McGee, McGee, even when he was starting, when Aiden was down, they were awesome. Um, even, like, some handoff stuff with McGee that he's running, been running with Payne has been really cool to see. Kind of feels like a, a Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell pick-and-roll duo off the bench that's, like, could be even better i mean probably is better all things considered um and mcgee's just showed showed a lot like you said i mean it's skewing the league skewing big again and a player like javel mcgee playing well a player like andre drummond playing well right now in philadelphia it's kind of showing that some of these guys are coming back and you you need to have enough shooting on the court but you don't need to be obsessed with having a five that can shoot anymore i think we've learned that over the past few years or at least a five that can shoot well you you don't you don't necessarily need that um, Devin Booker was super fun to watch when he was, before he went down. Uh-huh. Um, he actually, uh, when he played was shooting well from three, I, I think uh-huh. above 40%. And yeah. he's been a sneaky, like not so great average to below average three point shooter. Would like to see him take some more cause he's still not taking that many, but, um, that could really, you know, elevate him into like a top 10 type player. If, if he's, if he's not there already, I, yeah. I, it's debatable, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of their team, right? They take a lot of mid-range jumpers. They don't get to the rim. They don't shoot threes, but why would you? I mean, when you have this roster, like, <laughs> those are great shots. This is, this is analytics is a lot about having players who aren't good shooters and role players take threes. If you have stars that can make shots and create consistent shots, go get those shots, and that's what they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mikhail Bridges is shooting close to 40% from three. Um, Chris Paul's only shooting thirty three percent. I think that's something to track. Hopefully for them that goes up. It's kind of um, that kind of. It seemed like it went down when he had that shoulder injury and then never really came back up in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he's open for three in the playoffs, I still exp- well maybe not. But um, I, he still scares me as as a three point scorer for sure. But yeah, no, I like what, you know Devin Booker. I feel like you're right. I mean, he just hasn't been. He's been a very streaky three point shooter. Um, you know, he has games where he's just incredible from three. But this season, he's been a, a far more consistent. And you're right, he's only shooting six per game. I, 
I would love, like to maybe see him take more, but I don't know. I mean, it's working for them. That would be a lot, like, a few years ago. I right. guess that's not much anymore, but you're right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, just shout out to Landry Shamit, one of my favorite players in the NBA. Glad he's getting some pop and some shine. Um, <laughs> he's in that uh, shoots better from three than two club this, this year. So <laughs> that's always fun to see. Well, that's... he should never be shooting from two. <laughs> that's fair. Um, just, just stay there and shoot threes. I, I think it's important that if they're not getting to the rim, though, they're at least getting to the line. And a lot sometimes that's that the BS, uh, Jay Crowder, Devin Booker, Chris Paul fouls. But they if they can like, get to the line, they're going to need that to get some easy points along with the other types of scoring. Yeah. I think they will um, look to add a, like a Tory Craig-esque player, like a backup wing that can kind of body up people. I don't think they really have that right now, someone you feel comfortable in that role. So I think I would look for them to add a player like that near the deadline. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you have anything else on the Suns? Um, I think that's I think that's about it. Um, Mikhail Bridges, I actually didn't get to talk about. He's been living up to that contract extension. Been super efficient, mm-hmm. as you said, awesome on defense. His on-off splits are incredible, and he's been he's been cutting to the basket really well, which kind of brings a kind of unpredictability to that to that half-court offense, which is always so fun to watch. There's no wasted possessions. They always have a plan. They're not just dribbling it out, like trying to figure out what they're doing for 10 seconds. But yeah, I mean, they're a well-oiled machine. I totally agree with that. But um, so, 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 but I do want to stop there, though, and say you would you think you would pick the Suns over the Warriors right now? Yes. Uh, assuming Clay comes back as a similar player? Or whatever you well, think Clay's going to come back as. I, I keep on forgetting about that. <laughs> um, it's next month he's coming back. No, yeah. Okay, I guess we'll see. If Clay comes back as a similar player, then I might lean towards the Warriors. Um, as they are right now, though, I would take the Suns, I think. Um, yeah, I just, you know, another great thing about them and their defense is they give up very few threes, um, and they give up, like, no corner threes. Right. And I think, you know, if you do that, you don't have to shoot or you don't have to shoot that many threes on the other end of the floor either um you know they held curry to steph curry from he was four for 21 in that game in phoenix um i don't think that's going to be the case in every game they play but they they are one of the teams that can hang with steph curry and that can switch or and have defenders that can keep up with him now when clay comes back uh, that it does become a lot more difficult <laughs> yeah, yeah um and that takes a lot of a lot of the pressure off of Steph. So we'll see how Clay is. Um, yeah, I, I guess, you know what, I'll, I'll, we'll put a pin in that because I, I don't know what I mean <laughs> anymore. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of make some good points. And I think that they're such a well-oiled machine, a smart team defensively, that I think they would know how to kind of... Because with all the movement in the Warriors' offense, it's sometimes mm-hmm. hard for defenses to process, like, I should not worry so much about Draymond Green right now because right. he's not that good of a scorer and I should focus on like the movement that's happening around, but it's like so hard to keep track of. Yeah. But I feel like they could really pinpoint the weak points in the Warriors' offense. Yeah. Well, it's not necessarily a weak point, but I was watching back that Suns-Warriors game in Phoenix and uh, Draymond did a fake dribble handoff yeah. and let him try to drive. He does that a lot. Yeah. He does that a lot. And Jay Crowder just didn't bite at all and covered yeah. the drive. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, you can tell that they... Not only are they good defenders, but they're smart defenders, and they they study the tape, I guess. I mean, and that's, you know, in a regular season game, to me, that's pretty impressive, honestly. Yeah, um, I mean, Chris Paul's, you know, he's going if to, he's, if you're not watching tape, I'm sure he's going to call you out. And that's where, like, Chris Paul, like, his, and he's not on my MVP ballot, I spoiler alert, but I, 
his on-off splits like aren't like amazing or anything. Like the Suns are such a well-oiled machine that I think they're great. Like really, been, they've been great no matter who's playing, which is part of the reason I wouldn't give it to him. And his counting stats just aren't that spectacular. Um, but I do believe in like kind of that intangible leadership that Chris Paul like gets everyone to like lock in and play every game like it's a playoff game and. That's why they're winning a bunch of crunch time games as well. So they're a fun team to watch. But I agree with you. Maybe we can t- – well, well, closer to the playoffs, it'll be fun to to go into some deep dives on those matchups. But that would be a very fun Western Conference Finals. Maybe maybe one of the matchups I would be, look forward to the most. Yeah. I mean, I hope it is the Western Conference Finals. Um, and I think it probably will be. Yeah. Um, well, you alluded to it. Let's move on to our MVP ballots. Um, so we both – we listed five players that we thought are going to be or we, basically we, we listed our top five our, yeah. our, our mvp ballot as of uh, now yeah not projecting anything like that uh, yes exactly <laughs> and, and why don't we just start with the fifth spot and get it out of the way because i think there's a huge drop off from four to five there's, yeah. there are basically just four mvp candidates at this point uh who did you have at number five so i had donovan mitchell at number five and this is partially just kind of throwing a bone to the Utah Jazz. He's been awesome even at the rim this year. He's shooting worse from three, but he's been able to compensate at the rim. He's averaging 25 for rebounds and five assists per game. Um, I think he his, his three-point shot's definitely real. Like he, He's able to hit like some super tough ones. He's, his range extends way beyond the three-point line as well. So I think once he starts shooting better, they'll, they'll be even more dangerous on offense, and they already have the number one offense in the NBA. But... I feel like I had to give a throw a bone to the team that's first in point differential and twenty and eight, and I want to give a quick shout out to Gobert as well, who's I was actually say. he's having the best offensive season of his career. He's shooting seventy four percent from yeah. two, and he's rebounding like every miss the other team makes. And um, I was gonna say why Mitchell over Gobert as your as your MVP. I I, I didn't want to get heat honestly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like it's like I mean Donovan Mitchell. You could argue honestly that Gobert is more important to their defense. Well, then Mitchell, I mean, it's just true. Yeah. Then, then Mitchell is to their offense. Like, he, he's a one-man defense. And Mitchell, like, Joe Ingles and, uh, is able to, like, play make, honestly, like, when Donovan Mitchell isn't in the lineup. So, like, honestly, Gobert might be their most important player. But, like, Gobert will never get the MVP. I'm sure you would agree it's more likely that Donovan Mitchell gets the MVP at some point in his career than Gobert, just Probably. based on the way that people people don't give it to, like, 10-point-per-game scores or whatever, 12-point-per-game scores. So, like... Well, reality they gave, they gave two to steve nash so yeah that's true that's true i think but i think now it, it would just be i don't think anyone's gonna give i don't even think people are gonna give gobert defensive player of the year but <laughs> anymore but um but he's doing his job not letting opponents get to the rim not letting them score at the rim so he deserves a lot of credit in that record but i i my fifth spot's kind of like utah jazz and i think donovan mitchell would it is more likely to end up on a ballot than gobert is yeah that makes sense well, for my fifth spot, I really wanted to put Paul George just because of our prediction um, before the season. And I think actually he does have a case um, yeah. for being in the top five. I did end up going Chris Paul for very similar reasons um, that you talked about for Gobert. I think he's just sort of, well, I think he's a more impactful player for just generally in the NBA than Gobert is. Um, and I think he's a big reason why the Suns have been so effective. And they've been so so effective without Devin Booker in this stretch. Um I just I really didn't know what to do with the history. I mean, there, it's hard. There were way there were different ways you could go. You could go with uh, Demar Derozan. I mean, the Bulls have been really good, and he's been 
really, really good for them. Um, Jimmy Butler was someone I was thinking yeah. of. He's been good. Yeah. The odds-on favorite for fifth is Luka Doncic still, um, just because of the numbers he can put up. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the Mavs are kind of bad. So, um, yeah. I yeah. Mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised, though. I, I think people tend to put good players on bad teams in their MVP ballot, but just not first, just because, you know, they can't win, but, you know, you're you're acknowledging how great they are. Right. Um, you know, if the Lakers get better, um, LeBron, I think, could break into that top five for sure. Um, and then, you know, you got to look at um, Dylan Brooks. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I mean, it's a tough one this year. Yeah, Paul George is like, I, I, I. He I think really, he's fell off a little bit, like because yeah. he's not that efficient this year. But no. he's he's been a great. If you watch those games, I mean, he's been so important to them. So well, they're sixteen and thirteen, which I they're not a good team uh, without Kawhi. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's I mean a lot of credit to Tyler and Paul George and and Terrence Mann. Honestly, <laughs> he's been okay, awesome. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Terrence Mann is good. Yeah, Paul George hasn't been that efficient. He's only shooting thirty two percent from three. I mean, pe- people are shooting bad from three. You know. Pretty much across the board, um, and he's got a lot. Of, he's got a big workload defensively as well. So I mean, yes. yeah, he's. He, he, I would definitely understand him being in that in that fifth spot. But it, you're right. There's a huge drop off, partly due to like some teams having injuries, and in some cases, like it, it might be like due to injury, their team's not as good, so they don't get to have a chance to be in the MVP discussion. So it's it's interesting. It's nice that the, we kind of we can kind of hone in on these four guys so i want some clarity is is this our mvp ballot currently or is this this is who we think is going to be uh, the this is what my mvp ballot would probably look like at the end of this season because i think that is a distinction that you can make it's kind of is a distinction that you can make i mostly went like kind of like a power ranking like who's my top five right okay. now so yeah i did top five right now based on um performance and I mean, I we can both. Why don't we both just list our four? Um, what what what's yours in order? From okay, first, from first to fourth. So four, I have Giannis. Okay. Two and three. I keep on going back and forth on this. I, I keep on going back and forth on this, but I'm gonna say three. I'm I'm gonna say three. Kevin Durant, two Nikola Jokic, one Stephen Curry. Okay. Okay. Um. So I have Jokic at number one. I have Steph at two. Giannis at three and Katie at four. I would probably switch. I actually, I'm gonna switch Giannis and Katie. I'm gonna okay. put Katie at three. Yeah. Um, Giannis missing time is, is really impacting his uh, MVP case. But okay, and this is why I asked to make that distinction because I don't think Jokic is gonna win MVP just because not. Yeah. they're not gonna. They're just not gonna vote for him twice in a row, especially after. Yeah, I think Giannis really had an impact on people winning those two MVPs before he won for some reason. Yeah, and they they're they're. Probably, they could absolutely make the plan as well. So sure, yeah, they're not going to be good enough for anyone to vote for him for MVP. Yeah, yeah, but I just think the kind of season he's having is historic. I mean, it's literally one of the greatest seasons we've seen from an individual player. Yeah, their team is decimated. They have like no one, and he is keeping them afloat like almost single handedly. I mean, what were you telling me? His his plus minus is the best in NBA history. Um, with him off on the floor and versus off, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, he's he's they're like they're upwards of thirty points better with him on the hundred possessions better with him on the floor than off the floor. Like it's incredible, unprecedented. 
like he's shooting 66% on twos and those aren't just like layups and dunks. Yeah. Like he's a three level scorer and he's doing it with, like you said, so many injuries around him. Michael Porter Jr. out, Jamal Murray obviously out and that's just scratching the surface of the issues they've had. Like it's it's insane. And, and, and you watch the games, it's like you don't even need to like really look that hard at the on and off splits. Like they cannot play without him. Right. They're so bad. Right. And then he just single-handedly lifts them back into games. Right. Exactly, <laughs> uh, and that's why you know I guess it is little as it is a little bit inconsistent for me to have Jokic at number one and not have players like Paul George or Luca at number five um, because I mean if I'm gonna put Jokic up there and I'm if I'm gonna ding those guys because of record you know but I just think yo it's just so this team is a lottery team without Nikola Jokic um, yeah like not even. Not like even a like good a, odds lottery team. Yeah, yeah. Like a top five pick lottery team right now with their injuries. Right. Um, so you know, I just uh, no one's talking about him. Like, no, literally, no one is talking about him. And I should have mentioned this. He's made real improvements on defense. He's looking like like not only an average defensive player, but like a, a solidly above average defensive player who's showing flashes and carrying right. their defense as well right now. So. Right. Well, and at one point, I don't know where he is right now, to be honest, but at one point he was having the most efficient season of all time, like, by anyone, by, like, a large margin. Right. PR, right? Right. Yeah. He's just, I, I, he deserves the love. You know, if, I think if you're just looking at this season and you're discounting and you're not even thinking about other seasons, how can you not have him one or two, in my opinion? Yeah. Based on his performance. And I mean, I think, You yeah. have him two, so... Yeah, I have him too. I was I was gonna have him at three. I even have him in my notes as three. But then I was I was thinking about it. I was you were talking about it a little bit this morning, and I, 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 he's just having such a legendary season that I think he's should he's definitely gonna be on the ballot. But I think top I think second makes sense for me. Um, and yeah, yeah. And who did you have at number one, Katie? No, I had number one at Steph. Okay, you had Steph. so we should talk about Katie first. I guess. Or, well, no, because I had Steph at two. Okay, so, so we can talk why don't we talk about Steph? So. You know, prior to the season, I'm going to start off with like kind of the narrative reason, I guess. Like he would win MVP. Like prior to the season, we were all talking about when Clay comes back. We'll, we'll, we'll let's, let's let's basically tune into this team until Clay comes back. But he is creating so much offense for this team. He's absolutely lighting lighting up teams. Like I think he slowed down a little bit um, when he was chasing that record. I think that made him a little bit nervous. So he had some poor nights. But he's been so good. Obviously, you can't. I mean, you can't talk enough about how much his movement is creating easy looks for his teammates. Leadership. I mean, if you want to throw that into the narrative as well. But then also the lineups just have been insane when he's on the court, and he's not scoring as much as last year, but he's playmaking well, and he's just providing so much for this team, and by far their best offensive player. And I think, I think there was kind of an overcorrection that. Some people might have said that, oh, like he's maybe more of a ceiling raiser than a floor raiser. Like, but as we can see now, that's like absolutely not true. He's he's ceiling raising his team to the number one seed in the Western Conference right now, and I think he's my MVP of this season. And also, I I predicted him to be MVP. So, <laughs> well, so uh, he he did have a dip in form, which is why he would have been number one for me. But I think um, that dip in form made me put him in second place, especially since Yogic has just literally been incredible yeah. for, for the entire season. That's fair. Um, I totally, I think that's fair. And, uh, you know, I mean, Steph deserves it. He, the, the Warriors have the best record in the NBA. Um, 
he has been awesome this season. He's been so much fun to watch, too. Um, and, you know, he is getting support from his role players, and a lot of that does have to do with him. Um, yeah, he like that's not a knock. That's not a, like that's not a knock on him at all. Like that's I think enhances his MVP case. Like uh, how many players could play point guard and make a lineup with Draymond and Looney's level of shooting work? It, no one. Yeah, literally no one. It, like that's the kind of thing he can do. He can he can let Steve Kerr play with lineups that no other coach can because he's just that good as a shooter. And as you said, Clay's going to only make that more scary. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I think you really covered all the stuff. Um, there's not really much more for yeah. me to say, except go just watch the Warriors as much as you can. It's not <laughs> yeah. hard. They're on national TV a lot. Um, so third, we both have KD. I had Giannis, but I'm switching it to KD. Um, we both had KD. KD's having a great season. Um, Legacy-wise, he probably deserves another MVP. Um, I think you can say the stuff for Steph, too, honestly. Say the same for Steph, too. Um, you know, he's been just basically the main reason why the Nets are good, um, which I guess is true for all of these players. Um, but he's just played insane in some of these games. Uh, I mean, he's been incredible. He, he's, I just, sometimes I'm watching him and I just don't really understand what's happening. <laughs> like how he's scoring with such ease. It looks like with such ease. Um, right. Like I'm sure you've played with someone in pickup or something who's like, he just like they're clearly the tallest and most skilled player, and they just—it's so easy for them to get to their spot and just score over everyone. But yeah. he's doing that on like an NBA floor. Yeah, he's averaging thirty-eight and six, 52, 38, 89 splits, <laughs> highest assist percentage of his career. Absolutely ridiculous on long twos. Like he's just incredible to watch. And um, uh, I, I did have one more point about him, but oh yeah, narratively. I think this is what we wanted to see from Kevin Durant. I mean, this is what people what upset people about the Warriors, right? Mm-hmm. Is that like you're you're kind of making Steph and KD less interesting to watch by having them both play on the same team. But KD playing with Harden sometimes this season, obviously playing without like MVP level Harden, we we've seen KD able to be the player that he was in last year's playoffs, which is just put the team on his back and go get buckets and win and. And that's been so fun to watch. I think narratively, that's the coolest part about if he was if he would be able to win MVP this year. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how Kyrie coming back coming back impacts his case um, in terms of just his numbers. Uh, but I mean, I I would have no problem with him winning the award. I mean, I think he definitely is a deserving candidate. Um, and then lastly, we both had Giannis. Um, Giannis just having another like ho hum great historical season, basically. Um, he's improved, I think, um, especially as a shooter. His numbers, I think, will catch up to, to just how much smoother he looks as a right. shooter. Um, and, you know, the Bucks were injured for a long stretch of time without either or both of Drew and Chris. Obviously, Brooke hasn't played, so Giannis has really been the anchor defensively for the team this year. Um, Seems like he's grown kind of more into that, playing that for long stretches at least, yeah. playing at the five, and he's become... Like a defensive player of the year candidate again for this year. Yeah. And yeah. I think his passing just continues to improve too. And his decision making um, when he's doubled, uh, you know, when teams build a wall. Um, so, you know, I, I could see him. I think him being out for a little while really, like I mentioned earlier, really hurts his case. But I think when it's all said and done, I could see him being the MVP again. 
But we'll see. It's interesting. I'm, I'm glad he's eligible to win an MVP again now that he's won a championship. I don't even. I think people would view it as like a three horse race if, if if Giannis honestly didn't win a championship or flamed right out. Right now, again people view it as like, a two horse race, and it's Steph and KD. Yeah. Like, well, I don't agree with that. No, yeah. I don't agree with either. Clearly, clearly, people still don't agree <laughs> yeah. with that. But th- that is how it's. I think that's how I've seen it. Right. Um. You know, looked at, and a lot of people have Giannis over Jokic just because you know. Jokic won last year, and the Nuggets, you know, aren't that good. So, um, yeah, um, that's our MVP ballot. All right, let's move on to will it sustain? Um, how many do you have today? I have three. Okay. And two. It's not as statistical, really, or for, or for two of them. Maybe one of them. It kind of is. Um, so I'll start off with this. Obviously, you have not heard these before, so kind of putting on the spot here. But yeah. Cleveland, they're fourth in the league. They've been playing excellent basketball. Will they? They're fourth, so they're fourth right now. Do you think they can sustain fourth at what? the East? Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, okay. I, should, I should have clarified that. Do you think they can get a first-round home playoff series this year? They have a top-five defense right now. They have the second-best defense in the league. Can they play at this level can they host a first-round playoff series or have more home games? Okay, can they or will they? Will they? Because because it, it's called will they? Will it sustain? <laughs> no, I don't think they will. Okay. Um, I I think well, I think three teams are clearly going to finish above them, and right. the, and those are the Nets, Bucks, and Heat. Then it really comes down to Chicago and Cleveland. Um, and well, you know, it's tough to say. Uh, well, you know what, actually. Yeah, I think Chicago is going to okay. fall to five. I think, I think Cleveland will, because I think you're just going to see improvement from Cleveland um, as they just figure out their, I think there's a lot more room to grow, room for growth in Cleveland than there is in Chicago. I think Chicago has more or less hit their ceiling with this team. Yeah, that's fair. Cleveland, on the other hand, they have a bunch of young guys. Mobley is literally 30 games deep into his NBA career. Um, so as he continues to play, he'll continue to grow. But, yeah, he looks like he's been in the league years, but you're right. right. Yeah, he has right. so much room to grow. And, I mean, I think, honestly, to make a, a true decision on this, I would have to look at both of their schedules going forward. But gut decision, I do think Cleveland's going to end up finishing ahead of Chicago. That's fair. So, I yeah. yeah, that's fair. It, 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 Philadelphia can make it interesting if, if they get healthy and, you know, start playing like they were at the beginning of the season. But yeah, I... I they're, I mean, I guess they're only, what, how many games behind are there? They're three, they're two and a half games, no, they're three games behind Cleveland um, and Miami, so. Which you could definitely make up, especially yeah. since you're probably going to play those teams, so. Yeah, so, I mean, I think I think that's a team to watch out for. I mean, even the Celtics, if they can get their crap together, too, maybe. Yeah, that would be, yeah, the, the Celtics and the Hawks are, are interesting ones to watch. I think the Hawks have been playing Hawks a too, bit yeah. better recently, still don't look right, but I, I could, I still believe in that team to, to be a, a player in, yeah. in, the, in the playoffs at some point. Um, okay, my next one is Charlotte is second in offense. Can they sustain a top five offense? <laughs> oh, man. Um... <laughs> It's, it's, COVID is such a big part of this, honestly. It's true. Um, So, can they sustain a top, what's what's the rest of the top five? Do you have it in front of you? I can pull it up very quickly. Um, Or what's, what's what's the top ten? It's Utah first by like a mile, (laughs) and then Charlotte, and then third is Atlanta, fourth is Golden State, fifth is Memphis, sixth Milwaukee, seventh Brooklyn. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a range, but like. To, to put this, Phoenix? To put this into perspective, Phoenix is 11th, but 11th and 6th are, like, separated by, like, 
point six of a point per possession or point per hundred possession. Um, oh, I man, I don't know with this one. Um, so there must be a pretty big big gap then between Charlotte and six, right? Yeah, there is three points per one hundred possessions. I yeah. think that's hard to make up, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, so, it's we're, we're like thirty games into the season. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think they will end up finishing uh, in the top five um, in offensive efficiency. I, I, but I definitely could see all those teams passing them up. Um, but the, you know, they've been a fun team to watch, and they've looked good. And they're another team that has a lot of room to grow, uh, and their players just continue to grow as individual players. So. Um, you know, maybe maybe they'll be like that, but their defensive rating must be terrible. It's 29th. <laughs> so they're second, they're second worst on defense, second best on offense. Yeah. I mean, if they're, if they're playing shootouts like that, then um, you would think their efficiency would go down. But uh, you know, they've they've uh, they've stuck with it. So uh, maybe I think they'll stick with it through the end of the season. Yeah, I feel like what they probably want and should the fans should be looking to get is a center, which would probably maybe make their offense a little bit worse since they would be playing less of those. Washington at the five lineups and whatnot, mm-hmm. but that would make their defense hopefully better. But uh, yeah, they've been super fun to watch with Miles Bridges' growth and Lamelo just doing Lamelo things. Um, Gordon Gordon Hayward's been really good this year too. Yeah, yeah. See, I feel like people just forgot about him. Yeah, they <laughs> like he existed. Uh, okay, um, will the NBA play eighty-two games this season? <laughs> will that will the schedule sustain? <laughs> Will the set schedule sustain? I don't think so. Well, just, okay, yeah. But will every team play 82 games? Do you think we're going to be looking at the end of the season? And this is really not a basketball question. But um, this is a pandemic question. But I mean, theoretically, if every team gets COVID, then yeah. I mean, we should be fine after we get through it. Um, but I just get everyone their boosters. Yeah, and then, they got it. And then if they change... So it looks like they're going to change their protocol. So yes, I think it will sustain because they are going to be changing their protocols hopefully as we move into like january and february the worst of it will be over um what's good about this variant is it seems like it's not impacting the players as much in terms of their physical health as like delta um but obviously it's much more easily transmissible so um right which is why which is why everyone's testing positive i think there will be a stoppage in play at some point um at least for maybe a few by the time days. you hear this, <laughs> yeah, maybe honestly, at, at least for a few days. But I do think I do think they'll end up finishing out the season with eighty two. I would be I would like them not to honestly, but I think they will. Okay, that's all I have for will it sustain? And like I said, I don't have to answer these questions because I'm the host. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the host of that segment. I didn't make any predictions. Yes, I'm the host of this. Will it sustain? So I did. I did not make any predictions there, but. Um, you know, we're going to have to, we'll have to come back to our, our specific predictions, um, and see how those are going. Cause I think some of ours are actually going quite well. Yeah, they are going well. I mean, we, you know, we're smart people. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> we are, you know, I, well, I, yeah, we, we don't really have much more to talk about. So we are going to get out of here. Before we go, huge shout out to my boy Pavin for getting hired by the Kings. Um, really happy for you. Go check out his podcast, Outside the Zone. Um, I was a guest on it uh, for the playoffs last year. Uh, Pavin and, and Huzefa, the, his partner, they do a great job with that. If you do want to email us about any of our trash opinions, email us at clearoutpodcast at gmail.com. 
or you can reach out to us on Twitter at Clear Out Podcast as well. But with that, we will see you next time on the next episode of Clear Out. Thank you.